When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm your co-host, Christopher Mukigana Harrington, joined from the great state of New York, the patron saint of wrestling himself, Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston. Brandon, how are you doing today? I'm wonderful. I'm two and a half cups through, not Red Bull as you promised, but but coffee. I've got uh, some sort of, uh, is this Wegmans brand coffee? It is Wegmans brand coffee, and I'm two and a half cups into it. And uh, I'm on, on cup number three myself. Oh, so, okay. So we, we are kind of upholding our promises here. Yeah, I'm powered by Cameron's coffee. Cameron's. Uh, I think I'm using a sugar cookie flavor yes. right now. It's very good. Cameron's, we'll be sending you an invoice later. You will owe us uh, some money for this plug. Probably I tried place. to get Cameron's. Did you a, really? Uh, sponsor. They're they local to you. Oh, yeah, they're, they're a local company. They're right next you. to the MyPillow factory. I see. If you ever see the MyPillow ads with no, the I guy don't. with the crazy mustache. Mm. I, uh, I I should send a, a, a pitch to New Day, which is my local coffee uh, provider that I sometimes purchase from. Did you did you wrestle since we talked last? No, I didn't. <laughs> okay, but uh, you've been wrestling a lot of different people. Have you figured out how many different people you're going to wrestle in the year of 2018? No, I mean, who who thinks about such a thing? I do. I was I was going through numbers earlier this week about you know how many times did different people interact in a WWE over the last year? Yeah, that's right. And I was figuring out like you think about such a thing. You know, uh, New Day and the Usos have had like 93 different matches over the course of the last. That's right. I, I saw you days. tweeting something about that. Yeah, I was actually going to then do it against New Japan to see if it was higher or lower. Because, you know, some of the stuff like the Bar versus Seth Rollins, they've wrestled 72 times or, or Slater and Rhino versus uh, at least Dash mm-hmm. has been like 33 times. But um, I was kind of curious, like, is it way higher, or way lower for other people uh, in like New Japan versus WWE? Because New Japan loves to do those six mans. Yeah, but New Japan doesn't do repeat matches like WWE does on house shows. Not for the most part, yeah. It's so d- I, different I think cards that every time would be way higher. And again, it's just one of those things about conditioning and 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 how it changes the way you work. Is I would imagine 
what was interesting when I looked at it is the NXT people actually have a lot of variety in who they wrestle. When you look for like who's wrestled the most variety of opponents, oh. NXT people stand out because I think they they really get put in lots of different situations on the house shows. Yeah. Versus they probably should, WWE, yeah. it's like you're in a program, you're going to wrestle New Day every week. You That's know? right. So, but what were so. we talking about off air that we were supposed to talk about? Now I forget. Oh, well, you know, we, we're going to talk about a couple things on this show, and what, uh, we'll we'll probably get in deep on them. We're going to talk about JP Morgan, their analysis on WWE. We watched All Us this morning, we episode did. one. Yes. Uh, the build to All In. I think on the premium show, we had just realized that this was happening because uh, Cody had made a, an announcement saying that it was going to go up that night. And uh, we're like, oh, this would be good to watch. So we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll probably touch a little bit on, on Big Van Vader. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about WWE Super Showdown and... Uh, a lot of other little topics on the yes. premium show that we did earlier this week on Thursday night. That was a, a lot of good stuff. We, we have a we have a special guest who's going to do the introduction for the W Super Showdown. Yes, we do. A special do. guest. Our premium show was Thursday night. Go to yes. so patreon.com. Stay tuned. You'll be disappointed. $5 a month yes. and you get access to all the extra content we do. This week we got a big interview lined up, so I'm excited. We're going to have uh, Dave Lagana from NWA. Yeah. Uh, on the show uh, mm-hmm. this Thursday to talk all sorts of premium stuff, including all in build and including NWA projects and other cool stuff. Yeah, we, we had an interview with him about, what, about a year ago, right? And it was uh, lots yeah. of people liked it. It was, it was a good time. Yeah. yeah, so I think that'll be really fun. He's a he's got a great business mind, and we'll probably even get into the the more nitty gritty stuff, like you know the AT and T Time Warner merger or stuff like that that mm-hmm. you wouldn't even think about. But yeah. uh, it'll be really fun. But uh, this past week, we talked about MSG, and you and I had a vigorous debate. We did. On the legality. I was wrongly defeated, but we, we did have a debate. Uh, we, we talked about what I called the NXT New World Order, UK, Japan, Latin America. Yes. Oh, is that, whoa, 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 is that what you were calling it? The NXT World Order? I think so. I, I kind of like that, don't you? Yes. Everyone should use that and uh, credit The Mookie. NXT World Order. Yeah. The NXT World Order. Uh, and then uh, Saudi Arabia touched on. on that a little bit and some random WWE surveys. So it was a good show. Wait, so what, really what, what, what does the NXT World Order consist of? Let's, let's, let's define it right away here so people don't get confused. NXT World Order is kind of my shorthand for WWE's global localization, which is creating NXT-driven promotions around the world that would become sort of feeder systems to WWE mm-hmm. and would exist in those countries have some developmental pipeline. Uh, so very close to what we're seeing NXT UK. Uh, we speculated wildly on the idea that Noah could become almost kind of a satellite NXT Japan. Yeah. And um, talked a little bit about where in Latin America could be the next one. Will it be Mexico? Will it be Argentina? Will it be Brazil? Will it be Chile? Mm-hmm. Uh, Will it be spoiler, AAA? probably not Mexico. Will it be AAA? Will it be the Psycho Clowns versus the McMahons? <laughs> At the next Triple Mania. Or the Roll Dons versus the McMahons. Yes. I'm, I'm going to edit um, in um, NWO music for that. I'll return all of this. Nice. Nice. That'll be good. So, yeah, it was a, a really good show, $5 a month, and you get to see all sorts of cool stuff we're doing. We're going to be doing a, a review of probably Luke Harper's movie, Mohawk, soon. That'll be another kind of special ad uh, coming in here. And then we're going to have lots of talk about the G1 and the, the Cow Palace show and other stuff coming up in, in other weeks. Yeah. But, uh, first, let's talk about J.P. Morgan. Uh, this is the stuff we get into that almost nobody else wants to touch on, or when they do touch on it, they don't always do it with um, 
with the the depth or the understanding of looking at it in a macro setting of looking at all the other analysts. So uh, JP Morgan finally came out with their new um, estimates, price target, and commentary about WWE. Yeah, this is some, some one month after all this news came out about the new TV deals. Yeah, so that was that was unusual. I guess part of it could be that they really wanted WWE to actually announce the deals yeah. and then give long-term financial guidance, which usually comes with an announcement like that. Uh, and so the fact that they WWE has kind of dragged their feet on doing that, to me, says they were probably dragging their feet to do anything because the stock was shooting up and they didn't want to be caught, you know, kind of in with their pants down on what they made a recommendation on it. So in some ways, you could say they were just, you know, trying to uh, wait to see where it would settle and then make a prediction based on that rather than continuing to kind of play the week to week game. Yeah, but maybe uh, just enough of, time has gone by now where they're like, all right, we better uh, put out a new uh, analysis here. Well, I think so. I think it would. I think at a certain point, you seem foolish when you're talking about, like they mentioned here, 1.8 x domestic was their old recommendation. Yeah. And if these new deals are at the dollar amounts that that have been rumored to be, that's more than a three x renewal. So, you know, when you're when you're off by a hundred percent, you you kind of have to update your analysis. And I'm I'm positive they were waiting for long term financial guidance because usually when they announce a big deal like this. Then they'll also say, here's our new guidance for 2019 or, or so forth based on, you know, this new information. And again, it wouldn't be hugely different for 2019 because 2019 is only Q4 domestic that would be impacted by this deal. But the whole direction that the company is going, including the idea of tiering, you know, that could well hit in 2019. So you, you could see a, a long-term forecast for 2019, 2020 looking very different for WWE now. Um, they said their December 2018 price target, so we're about six months out, is $70. Yeah. Today, they're at $67.14 yep. uh, as of when I'm recording this yes. show. And uh, I don't know after hours trading whether it's bad or good. They've kind of been oscillating between a high of almost $68 and a, um, a low of, let's see here, in the past week, they went probably as low as on Monday the 18th, they were down to $63. So, I mean, it's been a really good week for WWE when you think about the fact that this is a stock that barely could break 20 bucks for years and years. Right. This this uh, stock price has gone up almost $10 since uh, all the news that came out in late May about the TV deals. So this the stock price is still charging upwards. Yeah. And, and it's one of those where, you know, I might be vindicated still with my, my prediction that there's a stock crash on the, the horizon. Um, because of the fears around, you know, international deals have to look good mm. because it doesn't matter that the financials of them, it's the optics of them. That's going to really matter. So if, uh, the India news comes out, the UK new com- news comes out and it's not as, uh, as, as great as some people might be predicting, that's where the crash could happen. Late 2018, early mm, first half 2019 is, is the projection. It's for very possible. I mean, the way WWE is doing all of this gives me confidence in a way that I've never had with yeah. them. Yeah. I mean, me in the past, they have, they've bungled, you know, it's probably the best way of putting it, some of this. Mm-hmm. And they've let, let the story get out in front of them. And then they've been kind of not able to control the narrative mm-hmm. afterwards. You know, the fact that they couldn't even put together a phone call. At first, when the stock started crashing after they announced their domestic deal, uh-huh. you know, that says a lot about their their not understanding what, what was being expected of them and the, all the lawsuits that followed up from that. So this time around, they seem to be doing a much better job of not only getting the rumors out there the way they want to, getting the competition out there the way they want to, but also getting kind of the hype out there 
in a way that it seems like it's a reasonable amount of hype. You know, $70, I mean, it blows my mind, but it doesn't seem outrageous based on the fact that they were able to get these $2 billion deals, right? From yeah. SmackDown and from, from Raw. Yeah, and I mean, we've done we've done the projections, like TV revenue is going to be like half of their overall company revenue by the end of these deals. Yeah. So JP Morgan basically said we had three big catalysts coming here. One is going to be when WWE provides new long-term financial guidance, which they have not yet. Number two is going to be when they announce the UK and India TV rights deals. And number three will be when they, quote, restructure the WWE network, which we're interpreting as probably meaning tiering. Yeah. Um, and it was also interesting, you, you called out this, that they, they believe, JP Morgan, that the increased reach from Fox would help boost network subs. That's right. We estimate um, the increased reach will help boost network subs, and our model now assumes a re-acceleration in 2020. Uh, that, that jumped out to me as dubious. Uh, I don't, I, I mean, it, it, it sounds good. It's a good thing for their reach, if, if nothing else, that they're going to be on Fox, a broadcast channel, uh, I, and, it, and it will have a, a wider distribution than, than the USA Network by a little bit. Um, they're going to have this uh, studio show, uh, supposedly, maybe, on, on FS1. But I don't see, like, reacceleration. I know they're not quantifying this, but I'm very dubious that this is going to do anything to network subscriptions that wouldn't happen otherwise. I think it would be valuable for, for um, WrestleMania. And so if, if we call boosting network subscriptions the yeah. ability to aggregate more subscriptions into a single month and then retain a higher percentage of them, maybe that's going to help them. Because I do think if you have a good program going into WrestleMania and you're on Fox, that's going to be better than just being on USA Network. I suppose. That it, said, I think with the tiering, you, it's a whole different ballgame because now there's going to be a different... Once you do tiering, you're going to have to do a marketing expense. You got to explain to people what is the new WWE Network when you're tiering it. Yeah. And so now we're putting different spend against this. We're putting different expectations against this. Now you can lose a $10 subscriber and get you know, a $15 subscriber and that's a win, you know? So it's not even one for one anymore. And so there's just so many other moving factors when it comes to that, that it's really hard to say whether or not Fox was the driver for that. To me, it's like, there's so many different things moving. And so maybe if they complete the tiering and then they move to Fox, then we'll be able to say, here's what it was in year one. Here's what it is now in year two. Mm -hmm. But that would imply that they have to do a tiering in early 2019 and, I, I just don't know. You, you, it's really hard to say right now. I think the next um, com quarterly conference call is going to be a high attention situation. And, and what is the date for that in your mind? Mm, late July. Do I have my calendar open? I do. Uh, my prediction is July 26th, a Thursday. About July one month 26th, from now. So a Thursday. Well, that's good. We tape premium shows on Thursdays. Oh, that's now, so right. We'll be, we'll be just right. Hey, that's that. perfectly aligned. We didn't even plan it that way. Well, maybe WWE is, is trying to get on our schedule is probably what's happening here. That's probably what it is. So JP Morgan gave them, quote, a neutral rating, saying that they expect some better step-ups on international deals, but there's that downside risk of a potentially higher ramp-up in costs. And that's true because they're, they're trying to support network growth. And like I say, that's going to cost money. It's not as easy as just changing it to a tiered model. You're going to have to market that. And then two, content localization. We've heard Barrios talk again and again and again about all their plans around content localization, global localization, like Paul Levesque talked about, which involves language, 
which involves talent, which involves investment in different, um, you know, countries in the world. So the UK, possibly Japan, possibly somewhere in Latin America, uh, Saudi Arabia, India. In fact, I think India, they specifically said in the uh, business partner summit that they were going to invest in several different languages for this year. So it's that's that's a big cost for them. And so they do have to balance those two. But in general, yes, WWE is going to be growing a lot. Um, What did they say about domestic uh, TV rights in this JP Morgan analysis. I don't know. What, what am oh. I supposed to look at? Um, just what, what things that they assumed were and were not going to be included in this. Are you talking about mixed match challenge? Well, just the fact that they also said TV and streaming rights. So BTIG seems to be holding out hope that somehow streaming rights would be extra. If you recall from their analysis and it doesn't seem like JP Morgan has bought that idea. Okay, And so I just in terms of BTIG for their high predictions, they had put extra money out there saying, oh, well, you could still be selling more streaming rights. I don't think that's happening. I think Fox and USA are paying the billion dollars so that they can have, you know, the full portfolio. And WWE is is more than content to sacrifice some digital rights for that programming in order to get those enormous TV rights renewals. Mm hmm. They also talked about, you know, maybe you could do more extra programming like Mixed Match Challenge, um, but they noted it had a, quote, a limited revenue upside, which is to say you, you do get paid for digital programming, but you don't necessarily get paid at TV rates. I think we figured out that they were only getting like somewhere between 25 and 50 percent per hour of what the TV rates were. Yeah. For Mixed Match Challenge. 1.8 million for that whole series. Yeah. And you know, when we figured out what the dollar per raw hour was and that's at the old rates. So it, it's probably not likely that digital would accelerate at nearly the rate that TV is accelerating at. So it would be low. The, the other question was 205 live. Do you think a, that they could move 205 live to a digital, um, to some other streaming service mm -hmm. and then B would fans be very upset that they're losing that on their network? Yes. And no respectively. So yes, it could move and no, they would not be that upset. Yeah, sure. Sure. Why, why, why not? Um, I don't think as long as W network, uh, subscribers can still watch it and can watch it like for free on some platform or, you know, it'll probably happen. I mean, look what they did with the mixed match challenge and th those episodes appeared on the W network a little while after they initially broadcast on Facebook. Uh, sure. I don't, I don't see uh two five live as, as having like this central value to, to the W network subscription, like pay-per-views do. Uh, mainly pay-per-views or, or I think NXT. The only, the only conundrum with this is that 205 Live is good for them in the sense that it is it is a little bit like NXT programming where it airs at a certain time and it forces fans to tune in and watch live. Mm -hmm. So it ups the hourly live eyeballs uh, or the weekly live eyeballs. And so when you take off the content that is you know only airing at a certain time, and then, of course, available on replay, but airing at a certain time, you risk, you know, kind of lowering the engagement on a per week basis because the pay-per-views, you know, the one thing that they learned was doing twice as many pay-per-views did not get them twice as many subscribers, but it probably helped them for the number of eyeballs on the product, which was something that they bragged about for like WrestleMania weekend. So I, I do think losing 205 Live might could hurt them a little bit for hours consumed per consumer or total hours consumed, but... I, don't, I, don't, I, don't I think agree that, with you. Yeah, Money-wise, it's probably worth more to them than the value that it drops on eyeballs. Yeah, I don't think that you know the hours consumed directly translates 
you know, completely to, to, to money. I think there is a retention thing there. Like the more people watch, the more likely they are to retain the subscription. But if you can get somebody to offer you, I don't know, whatever their, whatever they think the value of, of taking it off the network is, you know, X million dollars to throw it on Facebook or, or some other platform, whatever it is, then, then sure. Yeah, I agree completely. And honestly, it would be a, um, I think it would be a win-win for WWE because they would lose a minimal amount of subscribers and they would gain a lot of revenue because instead of them basically funding it themselves, it would move completely over to a line where somebody else is funding most of it. Yeah. Plus they're piggybacking on production that they're already doing at a studio at a stadium. So, I mean, that's, what's great about it is it's already, they're already at the arena. Yeah. And also there's that possibility that then it doesn't have to be quote 205 live. It can be 205, competition and then maybe you can even tape it differently and then it will save you the the headache of trying to tape it somebody that i pay attention to i don't know who it was maybe it was jeff hawkins somebody somebody suggested that um maybe there's a you know you can imagine the situation they take 205 live off the wv network they put it on some platform or social media or linear tv whatever it is probably not linear tv probably social media but and then uh in in exchange so we don't have this on the on the network anymore but uh, maybe they do you know for pay-per-view type events for, for, um, for two or five live. And, uh, and those are exclusive to the network. Yeah. Like you take those somewhere, maybe, event. maybe you put, yeah, maybe you put them in full sale or wherever. Yes, exactly. So it would be like the Cruiserweight Classic Tournament or something like that. And if you really think about it, that's what 205 Live kind of was born out of was the 205 Live success. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you saw a lot of uh, the surveys from that time saying, the what, what did you success. like about yeah. the Cruiserweight Classic? Do you want to see more Cruiserweight shows? Yeah. And the whole idea was give it a different style of wrestling. And unfortunately, that's been the challenge with the show is that it is sometimes a little too homogenized with the WWE presentation, which is giving it kind of that um, that 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 cachet where it's you're stuck in a little box if you're part of 205 Live. And you, 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 know, you even see angles going where people are competing to try to get out of being on 205 Live. Yeah. Which is not where you want to be. No. Um, India is the big thrust, I'd say, of this uh, JP Morgan analysis, which is good because it's like the, if the domestic story is done, let's talk India and UK. And so India, they get in pretty deep, um, kind of talking about Sony Pictures Network, mentioning that the current deal includes pay-per-view events. Uh, JP Morgan says they're available on the network, but delayed. I'm not sure if that's true anymore. That used to be true. That was true when the deal started, and I thought then in 2017 or 2018 it did go live. So I'm not 100% sure that that's exactly honest anymore, but it definitely was when it started in this deal. Mm-hmm. Um, they estimated that the last renewal you was would about probably two and a half clarify that, right? You could just ask them that question, right? This is a matter of fact. Um, I, I could, yeah. yeah. I, I haven't asked WWE. I, I just know that there I don't was mean confusion you. I mean, because like... when it – when it launched, you could not watch right. the pay-per-view events live. Right. And now, as far as I know, you should be able to. It's kind of a moot point because so few people are subscribing to the WWE Network in India. Yeah. That it, it's it's not really something that is worth, <laughs> you know, oh, great, 5,000 people one way or the other can or cannot get this. It's, and it, it's not going to make it. And, and on our view is kind of it's, it's not priced appropriately for, for India. Right. It's not priced appropriately for India, and it's not tiered appropriately for India, meaning um, that with data consumption and mobile versus broadband, it's it's not built necessarily in the right way. 
Yeah, we, you need more. Uh, but isn't there? See, so we don't know. Isn't there some ability? They've done some experimenting where you can maybe download some stuff through the network app and then watch it later. That's possible. I don't know if that's live or not. I, I haven't. I haven't checked to see if that's live or not. There's been talk of doing that for a long time. I know there was talk of doing it because um, YouTube, for instance, went to doing that in India and mm-hmm. other marketplaces. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Netflix started doing that in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So I- I'm just not sure if it's available. You yet. can do that with Amazon Prime right now. Yes, exactly. And then um, Barrios also was mentioning that um, in, in one of his speeches that, quote, lower data pricing in the country was driving higher content demand. He basically was implying that there was a uh, kind of a – I don't know even what to call it, like a, a a pricing war going on for broadband where some new disruptor came in and was offering it at really cheap rates in the attempt to, you know, win a bunch of customers. Mm-hmm. So the same thing that happens, you know, a lot of times with internet providers or something where someone will come in and offer lots of super low rates to try to gain a, gain a foothold. So he was claiming that was happening in India. I think India is so big and so many people and so many markets within India, it's easy to kind of... Um, overstate what's happening by going to one province and saying, oh, well, it's happening in this area in Mumbai or wherever. But so I, I don't know if that's true or not, but that was interesting that he brought that up. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of claims about it being the largest social media region for WWE, which, you know, is in line with what you and I know. But when we looked at that international or I'm sorry, that investor document a week or two ago, the thing that jumped out was it seemed like it was implying that there was a lot more linear consumption, i.e. television consumption going on internationally and not social media or YouTube consumption. Yeah, I don't know what that investor inv- investor's presentation was supposed to tell us. I, th- I found it very confusing and unclear. <laughs> so the last renewal for um, for India was about two and a half X which was a big win for, for uh, WWE and was one of the reasons why people thought the domestic numbers would be much better was because they were using things like India as a proxy. Now, what we instead are seeing is, you know, a lot of talk about cricket rights. You know, they, they everyone wants to compare it to cricket. So they're saying BCCI went 1.9x over the previous contract, and that's about a 190 million AAV, average annual value. Uh, Star won IPL rights, which is a bigger cricket league for 510 uh, AAV and uh, Facebook apparently was bidding up to like 600 million on digital rights. So that, that would, you know, suggest, Hey, we're talking two X many X. If you're a hot product, you can be talking hundreds of millions of dollars here. We're talking about something that's probably starting off at maybe $30 million. So, you know, it's much, much, much cheaper than what you would have to spend to do a three X or two X. JP Morgan came out with the number of two and a quarter X. So that they would, you know, go from 30 million to what would that be? Maybe 50 or 60 million. Sure. Yeah. Six, actually 60, 70 million, I guess. Type. Though I think their AAV they're using for this current deal is more like 25 million. So maybe 50 to 60 is probably better, but so they're going two and a quarter. So that would be a big increase for them. Um, they mentioned, you know, they're probably the biggest driver usually in TV rights is, how much competition is there between media's uh, companies. And so right now what we're hearing is that not only is there, you know, Sony and star and other people, but then there's um, two other players that they mentioned in this uh, document here, Reliance geo and D sport. And so they mentioned Reliance geo basically bid on the cricket stuff, but didn't get it. So again, that shows, you know, a willingness to pay for live entertainment or, or this kind of entertainment rights. 
And so uh, that would put them in the, the mix. And then D-Sport, which they mentioned is owned by Discovery. And this JP Morgan document actually notes that they have apparently Ring of Honor and New Japan programming already. So that's kind of news to me. I, I've never heard of Ring of Honor or New Japan programming being mentioned in an Indian marketplace. Hmm. Have you? No, I have not. So it makes me question the the penetration of this this network D-Sport in India. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm sure it's out there. I mean, it's it's like anything where you can say, well, if you get on a high enough satellite tier, you can get pretty much anything in the world. But you have to spend a ridiculous amount of money to get on that tier half the time. Um, so I, I just don't know. But so I, I still feel like in the end, this is going to go back to Sony. I, I don't I don't see India being a place where WWE is going to switch um, vendors unless they get ridiculous money bid from somebody and even then i think they might have some concerns about you know will they fulfill their deal and make it all the way through the end of the contract d sport is an indie uh, intelligent channel launched by discovery networks asia pacific in february 6 2017 uh this wikipedia page lists lucha underground as well as new japan and ring of honor wow <laughs> interesting well, if uh, any of our Indian fans are out there and want to say whether or not D-Sport is something that is easy to get, I'd be curious to find it, out more. It looks like some sort of satellite network. I would guess the uh, the penetration is relatively low. Me too. Yeah. Um, I think uh, the last pieces in this JP Morgan for the Indian section, they mentioned that the Indian rupee has depreciated almost 10% since September 2014. I will note that all WWE TV deals, as far as I can tell, are usually written in US dollars. So... Um, the last piece on JP Morgan, which is, you know, obviously the biggest uh, highlight to say is they caution people from comparing cricket rights and WWE rights. You know, just because WWE says they're like something doesn't mean they are like something. You know, WWE can compare itself to NFL as much as it wants. Uh, it didn't do them any good for years and years. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's something where cricket's a great proxy number because we know it's popular and wwe gets to air for 52 weeks a year so they get to add up their hours and get close to cricket but at the same time there's a big difference between being an institution in the country and something people are you know going out of their way to watch versus something that is growing and has an appeal but is not by any means an institution Mm -hmm. the uk contract renewal information in the jp morgan pieces is much more vague um, I didn't even find in there a recommendation of where he thought it would land. He just notes that the previous renewal was about 3X, that Sky has been WWE's partner since the 1980s. And then he has a really surprising thing, which will tell you a lot about where J.P. Morgan is coming from for yeah. information. Yeah. He mentions Dave Meltzer's Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Now, first of all, I will say any analyst who is covering WWE stock should be reading things like the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Mm-hmm. I would hope they would listen to podcasts like this. Listening to this show. But, but I think you are completely isolating yourself from the wrestling ecosystem if you're not looking at those kind of more business-oriented uh, analyses about what's happening in the wrestling world. And so I totally support talking to Meltzer or understanding it. What is interesting is that he mentions Meltzer's thing in in context of what the UK ratings are for raw being at about 35,000 people and quote plummeted in recent years. Mm-hmm. Now we've had will cooling on the show to talk about UK ratings. I've talked to John Lister and, you know, Ian Hamilton and other people who are, are Brits who have talked to me about WWE ratings before. So it's not like this is a single person telling me bad news about where WWE ratings are. What I think is surprising 
And, you know, um, Smart Brandon was nice enough to kind of pass along a lot of his commentary on this. And I mm-hmm. think he would agree, which is, isn't it bizarre that JP Morgan doesn't seem to have access to ratings information about the UK at all? Mm-hmm. Like, it's out there. It's got to exist somewhere. I mean, it, it's not like Will and people have access to it special because they're different than everyone else. Well, it's all on that so Barb, it, Barb website, right? I think so. So it's just one of those where most of it there. I, I get the idea of using a third-party resource to understand what's happening there. But at the same time, I would think an analyst for a major company right. like JP Morgan right. would be going out of their way to analyze it themselves. Right. You think that this is the sort of, I don't know, entity that can do things like subscribe to Nielsen ratings and things like that. You'd have a way to uh, get those numbers about the UK as well. Yeah, and it, it, from a research standpoint, it just seems like that would be the sort of thing where you really would want to be digging in and understanding information better. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it just surprised me a little bit that Dave, that A, calls out that he is an Observer subscriber. And as I pointed out, I think the JP Morgan analysis, in my mind, is the most balanced and reasonable of all the analysis we've looked at from PDI, BTIG, Needham and Company. I think we've read some Wells Fargo. We've read some... Um, uh, there's at least one other guy I'm, I'm blame Mike uh, Hickey. I can't remember uh, where he's from, but yes, we I've read probably five or six different a- analysts and each one of them, there's things I like and things I don't like. And um, JP Morgan has probably been the closest to what I think is right. Yes. It's, it's easy um, be, to become an observer parrot. Yes. And, and also I just think it's a, a, that Dave's ability to look at certain data points like he's obsessive about WWE ratings, mm-hmm. but in the U.S. But sometimes even that gives you a false sense of where things are. Yes, because I don't think Dave could tell you what Love and Hip Hop Atlanta is, mm-hmm. and I don't feel like you're understanding the television marketplace if you can't explain what shows are and aren't popular today. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was interesting. The OSN deal in the Middle East and North Africa um, will also expire in 2019, which is a really key deal for them. When you think about it, um, you know, someone they listed in business partner summit uh, partner of the year, a few years ago as one of the nominees. You think it's that's the number who, four uh, TV deal? Um, By how much it gets I talked think, about, I would guess so. I think that in Canada are probably close to each other. Mm-hmm. Eh, Canada was a 10 year deal. So yeah. I think this renewal might put OSN higher. But yeah. I would think when it started, Canada was probably higher. But, but Canada is so locked up for such a long term that, you know, they don't get talked about as much because there's not as much volatility there. Yeah. And, hey, power to Rogers, right? You want to talk about a brilliant move by someone. Rogers locking up Canada for 10 years and getting the WWE network rights. Mm-hmm. Like, that was really a, a pretty genius move by them uh, to stabilize their costs for a long period of time here. So... Uh, I, I, that's something I always think that is underappreciated how smart they were in doing that. Cause at the time I was shocked that they did the 10 year deal mm-hmm. and now they seem like quite the, uh, the, the yeah. savants. You, you did an excellent um, job in your various trips to Canada to get that done. <laughs> uh, the OSN deal, uh, they, apparently they, they did one with UFC uh, last year and it was quote a significant increase. So it would suggest that they'd spend more. And JP Morgan just kind of speculates, would the 10 year deal with the Saudi sports authority help the OSN renewal? It's an interesting one because the WWE network is carried as a linear channel on OSN. They're one of the few places, them, Canada, um, one or two other places in the world that, that it works that way. Um, and secondly, when they did the Saudi special, 
that was shown on Saudi TV, and I don't think that was OSN. I think that was a different Saudi TV deal. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it just... I, I'm not sure whether the two are linked, but I have to think the two are um, copacetic to one another. So if you're going to do more shows in Saudi Arabia, there is going to be more interest in a Middle Eastern satellite channel. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a good deal for them. And I think it's one that they definitely are going to make some more money on. So I would agree that's probably going to go up, you know, one and a half to two X to two and a half X. Um, they never said a number for the UK deal. I think their old number was close to like one and a half. I would probably keep it at one and a half. You and I talked about a lot on the premium show, the idea that perhaps the NXT UK brand would be thrown in as a way to sweeten the pot for the uh, UK contract renewal for Ron Smackdown. Yeah. And uh, I still feel that that's a strong possibility. Mm -hmm. Last parts. They just mentioned that, you know, Barrios has three talking points, uh, data and technology, content creation and localization. And that's where they want to invest. And that for JP Morgan, they think that's where they're going. So again, Big divergence, if you remember, BTIG had some wild strategies that they discussed. They thought, you know, they'd be getting ready for an M&A. They thought they would be spending money on on different areas. Uh, they'd be doing stock buybacks and all sorts of other stuff. And you don't see any of that same language in JP Morgan. You know, JP Morgan's basically saying, yeah, they'll probably have to increase their dividends because their dividends, you know, for a $70 stock probably seem anemic, especially with the free cash flow they're about to experience. Their dividend but, is what twelve cents per quarter, per share. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that will probably increase. Now, you know what you, you as as a uh, uh, Mister Dividend Calculations. What else happens when you increase your dividends? Uh, Vince McMahon gets more money. Vince McMahon and the McMahon family gets a whole lot more money. All those McMahon executives, but specifically Vince McMahon, will be getting a lot. Yeah, more it's, money. It's, it's, so at the moment, it's like sixteen to seventeen million dollars per year for Vince because he he owns yes. so much stock. And just think, if he doubled his his uh, dividend, you know, he's basically pouring another fifteen, sixteen, seventeen million dollars into his pocket book. Mm-hmm. So, uh, when when you wonder how is is uh how are they paying for uh, Mister Luck to be the new XFL commissioner at twenty million a year? He got to fund the XFL somehow. Yes, though you know, someone called me out, um, and and I will I will do a mea culpa copa that uh. I, I kind of underplayed. Uh, is it Andrew Luck or Oliver Luck? One of them is the uh, the father, and one of them is the son. I think and, Andrew Oliver Luck is Luck the is, son, and Oliver, Oliver Luck, Luck is the is father. The father. Yes. yes, and 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 I underplayed the fact that he was both the director of inter- uh, intercollegiate athletics at West Virginia University. He was an executive with the NCAA. Uh, he's a retired football player who used to be in the NFL, and that he was an MLS. Um, president and general manager for the Houston Dynamo. Mm. And uh, they in fact actually won the MLS cup two years. Oh, so he, he has a lot of sports. He has some cred experience and it, in many different areas. So mm. not just football, but also, you know, uh, actually major league soccer, I think is a great analogy because that is a very arena driven business. It's a very localized business. It's a one where, you know, it can be hot. It can be not hot. It's not necessarily a star business always. Um, so, you know, I, I think he's got a lot more, a lot more credibility to his position than maybe, and he's a lawyer too, I should mention. Um, oh. So he, he's got a lot more credibility than I probably gave him in, in my discussion with him. So I, I will kind of backtrack a little bit here. I still think $20 million is way too much to be spending on executives for your sports league mm-hmm. when you're trying to, you know, drive the message that you are 
the reasonable sports league. Mm-hmm. They're the reasonable sports league. Is that is that their message? I I kind of feel like that because they want people, maybe I'm because they want people to uh, to stand for the national anthem. Well, I don't. I didn't mean reasonable in the sense that I think they're reasonable, but I think in the sense that if if the the message is the NFL is a bunch of entitled, you know, difficult athletes, and we want to get back to the game of football, hmm. that down to earth league or something. I don't know what you want to call it, but does that make oh, sense? Oh, it's it's only the vocal minority who's going to know about their salaries anyway. Only the only the so. internet fans, only the people on the internet are going to know about that. But yeah, I just mean as a wrestler, just imagine that this guy is worth more than John Cena and Brock Lesnar together. Yeah, that just seems that seems like it um, seems. My, my, I think my friend Carl calls that theft. <laughs> it seems exceptional to me uh, that someone would be there. Yeah. So uh, this J.P. Morgan analysis, good stuff. Uh, I think it's really like I say. I think you know we we need to see a decent number coming out of uh, India. They got a double. We need to see a good number coming out of UK. They got to go more than flat. And um, we got to see a, this OSN deal is a good thing that I, I totally forgot about that. Again, if I was an analyst and I had a chance to get on a call with WWE, the two things I would hammer on them is one, you, you say you don't have UK ratings, but you have some numbers. I read here that the number is 35,000. Can you verify that that number 35,000 is down you know, 50% from three years ago, whatever it's going to be, you know, hold, hold, hold their feet to the flame. If this information's out there. And number two, you know, ask about things like this OSN deal. What are your expectations there? What's going on there? What, do, what is the investment here? How does Saudi Arabia play into this deal or not play in this deal? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of good questions you can ask that are not going to, that they, they will wiggle around, but they should be able to give you some answers that, that give you a better understanding. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with digital media and talking about what are you going to do about 205 Live? You know, like we've said before, if you listen to the conference calls, you'd think 205 Live was the next Raw or SmackDown. They are just over the moon with it. And well, I've uh, heard it's, it's much better. Surprising. I've heard it's good. I've heard it is good. I've heard mm-hmm. I've heard the Drake Maverick era is pretty good. So, I mean, it, it is good that it's changing. I just mean in terms of I've heard Vince is no longer uh, as involved with uh, the creative. It's weird how that works. That is very very possible. And I know for you, that is a, a, uh, that's just proof that it, that therefore he should not be involved with creative anymore. Huh? Yeah. He should, he really shouldn't be involved with creative. If he wants to be involved with other stuff. Great. But I mean, everything that Vince touches is, is, uh, not good creative. And, uh, I think it drives down the audience's engagement or the audience's uh, interest in, in watching and ultimately spending money. But, uh, they're so profitable. It doesn't matter. I mean, the so well, profitable you know, that he can continue to do what he's we doing. We watched something that was 100% not Vince-driven. Mm. It was not a, a a Vince idea. It was something that was independently done. You're talking about the New the Japan Dominion. Oh. Episode one. Yes. Uh, I watched it this morning. I think you watched it this morning. It's a 15-minute watch. It's a quick read or mm-hmm. a quick quick uh, experience. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, it's it's meant to be the... Young Bucks and Cody, not as characters, but as people talking about what is the experience of creating this all in show like they answer questions, they talk about their philosophies on things. And um, I I found it really revealing. I think it's something promoters should listen to because I think it it says a lot. I don't think it's something where everybody can be like, well, I am the next Cody Rhodes. I should be doing this or that. But I think getting in the mindset of somebody here. It says a lot about here's the reason these guys are being successful at what they're doing, because this is their mindset about how they're approaching these situations. Mm-hmm. 
Like you could hear something like this and say, oh my God, there's a thousand red flags. And I didn't listen to this and think, oh, they're actually thinking ahead about this. They're being realistic about how difficult this is going to be, how expensive this is going to be, how frustrating this is going to be. And yet at the same time, they seem to be enjoying it. Like they have a love for what they're doing. And there's nothing worse than when people have disdain for a project when it's such a gift to them. Mm -hmm. uh, what did you think about this before we even go in through a quick review of some of the things that I thought were interesting in it? Uh, I, I don't know. The, the thing that I thought was uh, most useful uh, as far as like, I don't know if you're a, a worker in, in, in wrestling is a, a clip that I think we're going to pull out uh, where, where they, they talk about how it's, it's really a grassroots thing. And I think there's a lot to be said about like, if you, if you're an independent wrestler who goes around from city to city and actually talks to people one-on-one -on -one and, and does these, whatever, if people come up to the merch table, uh, you, you build this relationship with people that, uh, can make them more deeply engaged and follow you more. And, uh, W doesn't really have too much of an, an analog to that, you know, everybody is, is so big and broadcast and there's not a lot of like one-to-one -one interaction and, and, what what they call you know it's it's like you're kissing babies and, and whatever you're uh, you're on the campaign trail here. Can you um go ahead and uh, play that clip? To this, I was going to say uh, when you do these meet and greets and you meet the fans, that like little do you know you're you're very slowly building an empire. Like that's hmm. that's where because I think of it like as I'm like I'm on a campaign race and that's how we go like old school right whenever even a pre like there's a presidential race and you go to these towns and you meet hands. people yeah. it's grassroots you knock on doors you hold up babies you kiss them like you're building the foundation for an empire and, and it took us years nick and i like we've been doing these meet groups for years like we've yeah. always been very uh like we've been very aware of how much time we give everybody uh, very aware of how much energy we give every fan it's so important because those fans the ones that you actually touch and meet those are the ones that are going to buy a ticket to a show that you run yeah or they're going to they're going to watch your your, your show on and your platform gonna, or they're, they're going to buy a t-shirt they're going to continue to support right and they'll yeah. continue to like yeah. i heard one one i don't know where it was i read a study about if you can get one thousand diehard fans right that will do and buy or put, like basically take whatever you do, consume yeah. anything you put out yeah then you're set if you can get a thousand of them and like we're at the point now where it's like we, we i don't know how that. many yeah. we have we, we have way more than several that. thousand yeah so it's like that's how you start though and i feel like every time you shake a hand you're you're very slowly you don't even realize it you're building a giant fan base and i think that's why where we're at where we sold out a show in 29 minutes i get in trouble with the meeting. that yeah that's perfect and i I, I took away that too. I took some notes on the show and it was definitely that part where it said, you're very slowly building an empire. That was Matt Jackson talking. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he mentions it took us years, but the ones you can actually touch and meet are the ones who will buy a ticket. You get a thousand diehard fans that will do buy, consume, whatever you are set. Every time you shake a hand, you're building a giant fan base. And like, I thought about us cause we were like, yeah. well, what do we need to be sustaining our Patreon or whatever? And it's like, we've touched, you know, I'd say we have about a hundred diehard fans, right? Yeah. So we, 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 we hover around. If you took all the people kind of who have come through our Patreon over time, about a hundred. Right. And so we're like 10% of the way there. And I would say that's kind of how I feel. It's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not at that. Like it's going great. Yeah. Um, it's it, but it's, it, it's, we're on the right path and that's the way you start off. And I think it's really key that the young bucks have been on this path for years and years. And I think Cody has, fallen in the right place at the right time with the right mindset um 
Yeah. I, let, I, let me, let me say how this runs so contrary to things that like, I don't know, I've been taught or at least like I've been, people have, have just spoken about as if it's common assumed wisdom is that you're supposed to, first of all, if you're a heel, never interact with the fans or, or be a dick to them, you know, even though the, you're not uh, in the ring or the ringside area, uh, and, or, or don't even get close to the fans because you need to be a star and you need to have your distance from them. You need to be somebody who they can't even approach. They can't even get close to because you need to create the perception that you're a star and you're just inaccessible. Uh, this runs totally opposite to that. And, uh, yeah, I just think it's, it's another one of those things that, uh, we need to reconsider, uh, how we, I don't know, market ourselves as, as workers in wrestling. Yeah. So I took a lot away from this part. Uh, part of me was like, you know what? When we go to all in, we got to shake the hands. We got to we got to make sure that we we have that, you know, opportunity to do a, a meet and greet with mm -hmm. listeners. And I don't mean that in egotistical like, "Oh my god, people want to see me" type of way, but like that's that's the sort of thing that makes a difference to everyone. And I know I was really excited to go to um the Observer. Uh But don't we have to stay in character, protect kayfabe? If we don't protect the well, business, you know, and that was the other thing that was really interesting is that, you know, he talked a lot about how there's the fans that do the meet and greet, but then have the disdain for the fans afterwards where they grab the hand sanitizer and they make the face and they talk about how awful it was yeah. and how they felt like they as a group weren't that way that, you know, they took the time to to um, do the meet and greet and, and actually spend time with people. And like the Bucks even said, you take your time when you meet the fans. And yeah. the Bucks talked a lot about learning from Piper of all people. Um mm -hmm. Ooh, again, you know, famously a heel, but yet they they were saying, and what was really funny to me is I thought about Jericho because Jericho had a rep when he was like in Smoky Mountain of being quote like as as Jim Cornette used to like to say the guy who would kiss the fat girls. He was interested in getting in there and trying to make that connection with the fans They're and go customers. that extra distance, and that was something Lance didn't really enjoy doing, and so he was always saying like. You know, that was the thing that set Jericho apart and was helping him, you know, make get a fan base with that people. And then you think about where kind of Jericho is now, where it is almost the opposite, where like you're saying he is kind of aloof or, you know, seeming like he's he's difficult with with um, being a heel and, you know, proud of being a heel and being in character and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so it's it's kind of amazing that little transformation there. Uh, and, and Jericho does come up in this. Uh, when they talk about who called you after the sellout and he's, yeah. he, they describe well, look, him as before we get to that, let me just add, I, I think there's this, a, a big, uh, transition that needs to be made in wrestling or maybe pro probably should have been realized in the first place, or at least a, decades ago that we have this inherent culture in wrestling of treating customers. We don't call customers. We call marks or, or fans or whatever, treating them with, with, with such disdain and, and resentment when like, if this was any other business, you should be thinking about them as your customers. You want them to come back. Um, and I think now more than ever, now more than ever, now that we're, we're getting over this idea of like, you have to stay in character and, and protect kayfabe and can, you know, keep the narrative closed. And, uh, yeah, I just well, think, and think, think about that survey that we talked about on the premium show, patreon.com slash Russellnomics, um, was the, the survey was saying, you know, what do you want? And the choices were basically ringside experience, evening with legends, a meet and greet experience, workout with superstars, superstar panel, after dinner talk from a thing. Uh, you know, a lot of them were about getting to meet people in person and talk to them and interact with them or hear them in a real sense. And so more and more what we're seeing from WWE is that they're investing in this idea of saying, oh my gosh, what fans really want is the opportunity to meet our stars and not to create this 
kind of aura where there's such a big difference between us and them. And obviously that's tough when you're a business that is putting people on the road hundreds of days a year and you got to be in a different city every time. And, and, you know, there's all sorts of different fan bases, but I think it's right on to say what's amazing with this kind of social media is that people feel connected to you on a personal level as if you are a person rather than a character or a persona and that people want to continue that interaction at the next level. And when you're in an era where house shows don't matter and people feel like a lot of stuff doesn't matter it's that VIP type experience where you're saying, hey, no, come and talk to me and let's actually have an interaction. That matters more and more. And that's not going away. Yeah. I think there's there's two issues there then. Like there's the issue of treating consumers, treating wrestling fans more like customers. And then, then there's like the stuff that I, I hear Wade Keller talk a lot about where like these wrestlers are doing too much on social media and they're doing too much that's out of character and it's, and it's ruining the specialness of, of at least certain characters. Like when you have so-and-so and so-and-so wishing each other happy birthday on social media and things like that. Or the undertaker posting pictures. The undertaker is on Instagram. Now the business is dead. Actually, it's more profitable than ever, but I mean, I'm, I'm creating a straw man that nobody really defends, but yeah. No, it's it's true. There is that element where people say, well, we'd rather you were a character. We don't want to know you as a person. And every time you're acting as a person, you're losing it. And, and I can understand the idea that like meaningless interactions yeah. and like transactional interactions can be frustrating. Like there is that element of like people being like, will you, will you retweet me because it's my birthday or this or that? And it's like, well, you're, you're trying to glom onto celebrity as if that's meaningful. Yeah, and, and that's always a little frustrating. As a but consumer, I know for some people, I don't, it's important. Yeah, I don't. I don't get like the celebrity fetish. Like, why? Why? Tr- this is just me as a consumer. Like, I don't, I don't understand the. Let's treat this person as if they're like on some pedestal. Like they're this. Oh wow, a celebrity. Like I don't know, man. Everybody's just a human being who uh, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> goes to the bathroom like everybody else, and and who cares? But but yeah, there there are people who will but, will pay a premium to. Uh, shake hands and all that. And, and it was good that, you know, the bucks were like saying, we, we feel like we've become a boy band now. And then Cody responded, well, girls don't show up to my meet and greet. Yeah. Um, but they, they were just joking about the fact that, yeah, you invest in this and it will pay off, but it took years of doing that. And it's slow. And I think that's a challenge to, to have that patience and to also have that desire to, you know, like you say, this is totally in, in some ways, WWE is beginning to encroach on this with all the VIP stuff, but they're mm-hmm. monetizing it so much that I think it's going to continue to stay out of the hands of people. And plus the size and the audience of their crowds is just so much bigger that it's, it's going to be hard to make this something that just anyone can go and do. But it, it's intriguing to me because it's like, if you want to go be the indie superstar, leave the WWE and make a career out of it. You got to be willing to do that in a sense to make it very much worth your while. You cannot go and be the super aloof guy that, you know, only yeah. does, you know, the Y2J schedule is just not available to 99% of the people that are going to leave WWE. No. And even still, you could argue he he's still trying to make his music career the way he's doing the wrestling career. So he, he in many ways, I th- feel like if you want to do a meet and, g- and meet and greet and talk to Y2J, go to one of his shows. Because I think he always wants to meet people after those things. Hmm. It's just the wrestling stuff he feels like he has to kind of create this barrier. Hmm. But it was interesting talking about the guy, hearing the guys talk about 
being promoters and like what they're learning as promoters, you know, where they talked about, Oh, we got to pay for this flight. We got to pay for this travel. We asked a young guy what his, uh, what his wrestling rate was. And it was so low that we actually tripled it yeah. to uh, pay it. And you could almost see the tension between Cody and the Bucks as They all kind of talked about this stuff where, you know, I think it's that the same challenge you have. I have the challenge when I'm an improviser where it's like my number one goal when I put on an improv show is to pay everybody what I consider a fair payment. And if that means I, as the promoter, don't make anything, that's okay with me if the people get paid right. But on the flip side, you do want to make some money and you do want to become more profitable. And you do want to say, how many hours did I put into marketing this, to promoting this, to thinking about this, to designing this, to hiring people, to investigating things. And it's like, if you put a value against your time there, you as a promoter are just paying yourself for that amount you spent. But it's hard to do that at times because, yeah. you know, you, you do think very much in the discreet, like, you get paid this much for this event at this time. Yeah, I, I think the capitalist um, is entitled to some sort of wage. What that is, though, is is always the question and the problem. Yeah, because the, the capitalist has to determine that for uh, themselves. And and they keep saying, you know, some think we're going to get rich on the show. It's completely the opposite. We'll probably break even. And Cody, like, jumps all over the place when they keep saying this because later he's like, we're going to buy Rolexes from it. And then later he's like, ah, I hope we'll make money. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Um, we we barely broke but, and even. Then, those are the the infamous words of every promoter. And and just the fact that he's like, you know, we can't bring in Hulk Hogan, we can't bring in Y two J for what they want. Like, plus we already sold out. Like, you know, we we know how much we are going to get from that, and so it's nice because we have that money to use now. But that's not enough necessarily because we're going to have a set. We're going to have other ideas. I, I wonder, like, how do you think the crowd in Chicago of 10,000 people would react to Hulk Hogan if he was on that show? I think they would go nuts. I think in they'd a good be thrilled. Way? Yeah, because A, it's Europeans and worldwide audience. And I do think Hulk Hogan's a big deal. Mm -hmm. B, I think... You think that would be a I positive think, reaction? Yes. Okay. Because I, I think Hulk is, Hulk is one of those guys who's really good at making live audiences think that he's a big deal. And when he's not being treated as well, a big deal, he knows to go away. He's not fooling and me. And so I, I, I understand some people would probably re be resentful and negative, but I think he's one of those guys that, you know, no matter how, how much shit people throw, <laughs> they, they mark out when he shows up somewhere. Hmm. You, you think there would be a negative reaction to him? If there was ever a place uh, with an arena-sized crowd that would give him a, a negative reaction, like, and I'm not just talking about heel heat, but like just go away heat, that, that would be it. Um, it, it depends I on the context more, that would be used in. I mean, this, this isn't going to happen anyway. I see, so the, point is I see moved, the difference but. between him and Enzo. I think Enzo would be booed out of the building. Yeah. I think Hulk Hogan is an institution to wrestling and Chicago is not a bad place for him. Yeah. The, the radioactive incident is, is further in the past for Hogan than it is for Enzo. Exactly. And, and just the fact that like Hogan's always been divisive and yet, always has he, he's shown this is another type of against, divisiveness though you're betting against here. the house you know he's someone who's been able to turn it around so many times from the steroid trials onward yeah this is another another level of divisiveness though the divisiveness uh before a few years ago for hogan was was mainly i don't know economic and not not being generous enough to people and and now it's like he's a racist he said yep. he was and and i think I think, you know, he's done his, his, uh, uh, time in the desert and, you know, even WWE is, is flirting with bringing him back. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think, I think if WWE is willing to go the distance, 
uh, I think a bunch of fans are going to be would mark out hard for him. I don't think he's going to be there. He will not be there. No, no, you I know, don't think so we'll, we'll see him punk. Will will Bernard, the business bear take off his head and be CM punk or Daniel Bryan or something. I hope so. One in 50 chance, right? Okay. Hogan being there is a one in a thousand chance right now. I think before TNA, I would have said one in a million chance, but now, you know, he's, he's played to smaller houses and than 10,000 people on his Hulkamania tour and on his TNA days. So, you know, anything's possible these days, mm. but no, they're not going to spend that on that. There's no need for it. Um, and, and it's, it's kind of like class, you know, like they, they kind of talk about it, the idea that, you know, once you're sellout, suddenly everybody is like, well, Hey, how can I get in on this? And then that's Hogan's versus, MO man, right? Like, Oh, what, what, this is, this is hot. Let me get on that train. Exactly. And Hey, that's, what's made him a successful business for himself all these years. Not necessarily the best for the comp for the companies he worked for or the or the business, business as a whole the industry he's in. Yeah, but he made his millions by being able to read the tea leaves quite well. Yep. You know, hey, Georgia Dome's going to sell out, and a bunch of uh, WCW executives are there. I better be on that card in the main event. Yep. Hey, smart guy, smart smart guy, and and the fact that even he can figure out, hey, the young bucks get it. Mm-hmm. You know, for people who want to be like, oh. You know, no guy from the old era would ever approve of the Young Bucks. Says a lot that, you know, other guys look at it and say, oh, this guy gets it. This guy's making money. Well, he's got dollar signs in his eyes. Yeah, but they're drawing dollars, so that's impressive. Yeah. Um, I I enjoyed when they just talked about, you know, what is your fear the night before? And they hoped it was not a talent dispute, which is, you know, that's an honest promoter answer, right? Yeah. I I guess especially in this case, right, because there's so many people from so many different companies here. Who have so much and to, and to they find. talk about that with the broadcast where they're saying, "Hey, yeah, we want to show it. We feel terrible that someone will say, "Hey, I'm flying in from Australia. I got a hotel and I don't have a ticket." Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Yeah, we want people to see it, but we're not TV directors. We're not executive producers. Contracted talent makes it tricky for us to broadcast it, yeah. or and even to hell, do finishes. We've never even written a formatted show before. I wonder what they're going to do about some finishes here, right? Because like, un- unless you got uh, same brand people in the same matches, if you've got the in a single match, different wrestlers against, you know, other wrestlers from other brands, you know, opposing brands. How do you do a finish that way? Or is there going to be objections to uh, somebody losing and taking the pin? Maybe it'll be a point system that is only displayed on the screen and the people in the arena cannot find out. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but uh, I, I thought that was – and the thing that really stuck out to me was when they said, you know – I've I've seen a formatted show, but I've never written one ourselves, but we want to do it ourselves. And, you know, the Young Bucks were saying career-wise, finding out it was sold out was the most emotional thing in this career for me. And y- you get the sense that they're not interested in just going out and hiring a executive producer that, you know, did, you know, Kevin Dunn's understudy. They're interested in doing it themselves and succeeding and failure, failing themselves. And so you can hear the the pride and the, you know, I, I I won't call it arrogance because I don't think it's arrogant to think that, but I, I think it's that pride you want to have in owning something yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's the same way I feel about my, my WrestleNomics brand. It's like I would rather own it myself and have it live or die than get paid three times as much for it and mm-hmm. just give it away to somebody else and say, okay, well, whoever wants to use it can now. Yeah. So the wrestling uh, podcast, Skinny Bundle. It's going to take a lot of money to get us, is what Mookie's saying. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm saying it can be, we can be part of something else. But I it's going to take a lot of money. I, I, I think the skinny bun. I would, I, you know, we're, we're the, 
we're the uh, we're the Grenada, we're the uh, the Malta in this EU here. We're not the uh, <laughs> we're not the UK or Spain or France. Hmm. So I feel okay. But um, yeah, this was a great. I, I loved when they were talking about you know the idea of of <laughs> throwing out ideas on the bus to see if there was a stooge. They're like, we're going to bring in Batista. We're going to have Bret Hart as Bernard the Business Bear. We're mm-hmm. going to have Mongo in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I thought what was really good is the end part where they said, why does this work? And Cody kind of makes the point that he and the Bucks aren't actually all on the same page when it comes to the ideas about wrestling, that they have different outlooks. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really, really good is that it's something I've learned very much in my last probably three years here is for years and years and years, I believed in kind of the myth of the single genius where this is the smart guy. If you have the smart idea, you take it from beginning to end and you execute it and then people respect you and think you're great. And the reality is, is it's almost always partnerships where one member of that partnership might not be as, as um, visible but is much more important about either editing ideas or contributing the areas that you are not good at. And so for me, it's, it's everything from like doing this podcast. It's so much better having a co-host and having someone to discuss and debate and, and, and kind of investigate things with versus doing it yourself. Plus mm-hmm. you're willing to take on things like recording, which I don't enjoy doing. You don't, you don't enjoy editing. I, I as, lost as told me my very, love for editing very early in in, in in this relationship. You you not want to edit and uh, but but I, I don't I don't mind it. It's a good time. Yeah, yeah. And and so there's that. And then it's just the idea of like you have to have different takes on things because you know you'll convince each other of we should try this or we should do this. And mm-hmm. sometimes you don't see the value in it, and then you're proven right or you're proven wrong. But at least the other person is proposing things. Mm-hmm. And you go into directions that you would never go. You're much more into new media, social media than I ever was. And yeah. I'm now seeing the value of it in a way that I don't think I would have before. That's right. We're, we're, I'm so, revolutionizing the, the wrestling industry. One and and they, they, they make some cryptic phrases here about, you know, people have tried to put wedges in and potentially yeah. split us up. Which, you know, suggests that maybe there were some money offers that were thrown out there. And, and you know, who, WWE or otherwise. Right. And who could they be referring to but WWE there? I mean, I guess New Japan could be get offering them to say, hey, stop working at ROH, but it doesn't seem very so. much. I guess ROH could be doing the same. Yeah, I find that hard to believe. TNA, TNA obviously used, I mean, in the past, all of them at different times, but more recently, Cody. Yeah, but right? they don't have the money to make them stop doing what they're doing. No. So, I mean, I, I saw it much more as WWE and as... You know, we're going to have Dave Lagana on the show, hopefully this week on the premium show. And we're going to talk to him because he was, he was one of the, you know, people that was listed here at the end of the credits of the show yeah. as, as putting this together. Billy and Corgan. So he'll well. have a, have a lot more insight about what he asked them and, and how we got there. But I think just that idea of, you know, you think about how much money Ron Smackdown is going to be generating soon. Mm-hmm. They can afford to sign talent and hold them at rates that are still going to be above what they can make on independent hustling. And not blink an eye. So if you had to spend a million dollars on the Young Bucks, WWE could easily afford it. Absolutely. And the Young Bucks should seriously consider that, right? Like they would be fools not to consider making a million dollars. If a million dollars is valuable, I'm sure. Yeah. So it, it's just one of those things where you can see, yeah, for sure. With um, all the hype of what's happened here, you know, um, 
anything's possible. So I, I really appreciated the show. I'm looking forward to the next episodes of the show. I suggest you watch the show. I think, um, you know, they will, uh, they, they, they're very honest about where they are with this. And, uh, for the first time in a while, I just, I'm getting Cody in a way that I don't think I got him for a long time. I didn't understand what was his appeal. And in some ways it's like, and I don't mean this in a super derogatory way, but we're in such an era of incredible workers. Yeah. He's not an incredible worker when it comes to in-ring. Like he, he's not a guy who's consistently having what we would call like four-star, five-star yeah. matches. He's good. And, but we're in this era of like off the charts is what's super valuable. But at the same time, I think he's a credible champion. Sure. Is that he does things that are, make sense and he carries himself in the right way and that he's all the elements he's, he can do all the pieces. And so I don't necessarily think he's um, going to be, you know, the Kenny Omega worker. I don't necessarily think that he's the top promo in the business, but I think in a lot of ways he acts the part and lives it in a way that is meaningful. And he's genuine about his desire to be in the professional wrestling industry and be on top. Yeah. I, and I, I think, I think this is true. I think this is something that came up when we, we talked a little bit about, you know, the, the 10 pounds of gold series and how that's, that got some interest, even though maybe the matches weren't uh, super great matches. There's so much great in ring wrestling so much. Uh, but what there's not a lot of is great stories or really intriguing stars. That's where the, uh, the empty space is to, 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 to do business in pro wrestling. And and the fact that like and, and Cody is, you, is somebody who's becoming a star who's trying to present himself as a star, and you know, great in ring is is not a big component of that, or not even a big necessary piece of that. And and just the idea that you also surround yourself with people that also appeal to you in that situation, and so I feel like the package he's created around himself works, and that's important to do is is that you can't just be the single element that makes it good it's it's that the other people you're working with are also bringing something to the table so like he says marty Skrull and 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 the young bucks and and of course the rest of being the elite and and omega and other people it's like they are passionate about doing things and they're passionate about you know trying to make a name for themselves and going out there and doing it and i i respect that a lot and mm -hmm. uh, you know it, it kind of reminds me again i always use improv analogies but it's a lot like that when you're putting together a show from improv I'm not the best improviser out there in the Twin Cities. But what I can do is oftentimes I can bring together some of the best minds and I can help cultivate it to make it the best. And I can present a show that actually where maybe even I'm I'm hosting or I'm I'm running part of it and it looks pretty darn professional and it looks pretty darn good. And part of that is because you 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 build off the greatness of others. And I think he's doing a lot of that right now. And I think, you know, his wife is passionate about it. He's he's having a good, good time with it. And they're finding a good way of kind of telling the story to everybody else around them so that you can follow the story along, even if you're not watching all the matches. So what you're trying to say is you are the Cody Rhodes of improv. I didn't want to say that, but uh, that was my my uh, my thought is I was like, oh, I, I, I respect this, you know, is that I'm not going to be the number one worker. But you know what? Maybe I can still yeah. draw some money. I suggest you you, you bleach your, your hair blonde. And go around in a suit everywhere doing meet and greets. You know, and there was a little part of me that was like, maybe that's the only reason I'm think thinking he's a good champion is because he wears a suit well. Yeah. But who knows? Oh. He kisses the ring. Yeah. 
Um, Vader passed away. A uh, lot of a yes. lot of lead up to this being that you know he had said he, he was having heart problems and other issues. He had even been in a coma at one period, uh, and so I don't know if everyone was shocked that he died because he, you know, had made it sound very dire pr- yeah. prior to this. But at the same years time, old, it also made yeah. it sound like he was going to wrestle to the day he died, and mm-hmm. so it's it's hard to tell with a guy like that, you know, whether his health is is really going to break or not. Mm-hmm. Um, you watched some Vader stuff this week. I, I've been, um, of course, looking up different things, and I, I watched WWE actually did a nice little tribute video to the man they call Vader, as they put it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I looked up a lot of the the Wrestling Observer Awards history on Vader. Yeah. Um, what, were, what were some of your comments or thoughts? I don't know. I think Vader is, as far as an in-ring performer, like there's so many great wrestlers who who have more typical body types and sizes. And it's easy to say after somebody just passed away, but maybe he's the, the greatest big man of all time as far as an in-ring performer, especially when you think about like how many different styles and how many different promotions uh, he worked in. I mean, there's there's great wrestlers in wrestling history, but a lot of their, their history is centralized in like one promotion. Um, yeah, I, I think you have Lesnar and you have Terry Gordy and you have other guys that were great big men, but for the variety of styles and the variety of kind of promotions he worked for, you yeah. know, as Meltzer says in the uh, uh, tribute, the uh, biography of him, you know, he's a guy who was champion in Mexico, Europe and Japan at the same time yeah. and then came back to the States and became a champion and then went back to Japan as a broke down guy from the States and became a champion again and earned it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's hard to do. Yeah. He, he did it in WCW. He did it in New Japan. UWFI. UW, UWFI. Like, he didn't just do typical pro wrestling style, but he went to, to do shoot style with Takata in Japan. And, uh, and when, when people thought maybe he was done after that WF run that didn't go so well, he went to All Japan and had really good matches with Masao Kawada Kobashi Akiyama. So. And, and as you point out here... If you look at this, if the criteria for what makes someone a Hall of Famer, mm-hmm. you know, it's both the value they bring to the ring in terms of did they have good matches? Were they respected by their peers? Were they the best in the world at their thing? Right. So you could say as a big man, he was one of the best in the world. Was were they able to draw crowds? Well, you, you pointed out here, there's some big stadium and, and shows specifically in Japan that he headlined yep. and it made a difference. Yeah. Right. Well, I've got four. Stadium shows here where, you know, it's always hard to unpeel the onion here. But he was in key matches in big stadium shows against Stan Hansen for New Japan in 1990, against Takata at Jingu Stadium for UWFI. Uh, his, I think this was his big first big match in all Japan was in the Tokyo Dome, the 98 Tokyo Dome show that he did where he teamed with Hansen against Kenta Kobashi and Johnny Ace. And then he had the big title match with Misawa the following year for all Japan's second Tokyo Dome show in 99. So, and these are shows that drew forty, fifty thousand people. I mean, they, yep. they drew multi million dollar gates, multi million dollar gates. I mean, his Takata, U, UW, UWF ideal. You know, I think they're saying he, he was going to get something like two million dollars or like a hundred thousand dollars a show. You know, some ridiculous amount of money for the number of matches they're asking him to do. Mm-hmm. And it makes a lot of sense then to think, you know, he was a businessman too. You know, and going to these different companies and working for them. Yeah. That not only did he draw them money, but he drew money and made money in the business doing this too and going to all these different companies yeah. and the fact he was still in demand. And and I, and I, I think, think just like our artistically great matches against such a variety of opponents 
it's not like he just had great matches with Okada or or Kobashi or Masawa. You know, he had great matches against this big wild brawler, Stan Hansen. He had a great he had great shoot style matches with Takata. He had great all Japan in the nineties style matches with Masawa, Kobashi, and Akiyama. And you can understand he, why he had great matches in know. WCW with Ric Flair and Sting. Jeez. Yeah. And, and- and that people would, would go to the model and say, oh, he's an ex-football player. We should get more football players in this. And and arguably, he's one of the most successful football player turned workers in in um, wrestling. Who would be in competition there? Steve Williams? Was Steve Williams even a football player? He was definitely a wrestler. Yeah, I think – well, he was a football player in college because yeah. uh, he was part of that whole, uh, uh, I think, uh, West Texas group. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know uh, – I don't think Bradshaw is nearly the draw. <laughs> um, let's see who else would be a good football player. I, I got to think more. I mean, there's, there's Bronco Nagurski. Yeah. Or Bronco. Yeah, exactly. Or Wahoo McDaniels. Wasn't he also? Yeah, but I, I uh, think, I think Vader's place in history, certainly on a global level. I think level. modern football. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's, he's certainly a lot better than Kevin Green. Yeah. And uh, Lawrence Mondo. Taylor. Yep. Um. But yeah, it's it just, I think it's, it's fascinating that he was successful in different businesses in his life for a long period of time, especially the, the fact that he could go from WWF and go back to Japan and have a big successful run in such an athletic and difficult era. That's really telling because I think it's so hard to um, sometimes rebound from a, a career failure like that, especially at his age, you know, he was in his forties when he's doing that. And it's like, Nowadays, once you're past 35, 36, a lot of times it seems like, oh, you're going on the downswing. Now you're done. And uh, it, it's going to be amazing. Just Is that what you're telling me? I only up. have a couple more years left here? I feel that way. Hmm. You know, for me, I'm 37. You're already on the downswing. I am. I'm prime now. Yeah. I'm not going to be prime again until I'm 41. Hmm. Jeez. Um, but yeah, it's it's intriguing to see. All the stuff he did, I think having New Japan World out there now, Bix was going through and finding some fun, you know, uh, examples of, of Haas matches that he was oh, involved yeah. in. There's some Bam Bam matches Death there. Bam Bam and mm-hmm. and uh, Kito Katai. I don't even know. Koji Katao. Koji Katao. Koji Katao. Yeah, the, uh, the the sumo guy and mm-hmm. all the others. Just like that. That's pretty fun stuff. And uh, hey, he was a hard worker at times. I mean, I think he was all over the place. Even Kenny Omega had great things to say about him, helping him get a working permit for Japan. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's portrayed very much as a guy that was pretty passionate about wrestling. And I think passionate about trying to get his son into wrestling too. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, um, I pulled a, a wrestling observer newsletter awards history of all the times that he was mentioned. And I think it's always intriguing too, that he's, you know, from 1988 all the way through 2002, he's mentioned in positive fashions, you know, from Bruiser Brody award, honorable mention in 2002 and, and many times Bruiser Brody award and wrestler of the year, uh, number three in 1999 behind Masawa and Austin, which is a pretty, pretty, I mean, this list here from 99 is pretty amazing. Masawa, Austin, Vader, rock, Mudo, Kobayashi, Foley, Benoit, RVD, triple H and Koji Kentamoto. And uh, also number five for best box office draw behind Austin Rock, Mudo, Goldberg. Mm-hmm. Um, up there for feud of the year, most improved. He won most improved. It was funny. In in 98, he won most unimproved. And in 99, that. he won most improved. Yeah. I'm sorry. He was number two in most unimproved in 98. Oh, Hogan yeah. won it. But, but that's uh, for the WF run. 
Yeah, it's just always kind of amazing, you know, when people just kind of turn around in a year like that. It it just says a lot about playing to people's strengths. Yeah, at the he, right time. In '88, he got a lot with he guys. was number two for best gimmick, and also got some votes down here in the honorable mentions for worst gimmick. And if you notice, the same thing happened with Rick Rude kissing the girls. I see that. <laughs> Look at that. Um, obviously, his his New Japan entrance and. You know the the helmet, the the characters, fascinating from a trademark standpoint. Um, very fascinating guy. You know, the, why do you think WWF called him the man they call Vader? Mm-hmm. That was very much to get around the fact that Vader gets very close to Star Wars Darth Vader, and, and they it, had to get, do jump through a lot of hoops to try to avoid basically getting angry Star Wars uh, trademark infringement stuff. The Mastodon. Did they want yeah. to call him the Mastodon and, and not not call him Vader? Something I think like so, that. and th- and that's why is because the Vader thing was actually a big pain in the ass. Where in both Japan and in yeah. the U.S., they they kept running into issues with Darth Vader. He had to be Super is, Vader. You know, think, he had to be Super Vader in UWFI. Um, why he was Super Vader? Why he was Van Vader or mm-hmm. Big Van Vader? And he was um, not Big Van Vader in WF. Yeah, exactly. And so I think some of it was also as time went on. You know, especially with Star Wars, with kind of the relaunch, the prequels and all that, I think that they doubled up on all their trademark stuff even more by the time uh, uh, it was coming around. Hmm. So what worked in WCW years earlier was not quite going to fly in in WWF by the late 90s. Hmm. But I I remember looking up stuff and finding that, yeah, there was a lot of issues with the Vader name uh, in general, which is why sometimes you'll see, like, we don't want you to call yourself Vader. If you call yourself the man they call Vader, at least we can say that that's a trademarkable phrase because it's not going to be confused with this other one. Mm-hmm. But even that, I'm sure, was a hard thing to trademark. And I'm not I, – I don't remember right now how much of that ended up going through. But I remember finding, you know, trademark filings where it was saying this person was opposing it. Mm-hmm. So uh, – but, yeah, it's uh, – uh, I think a guy that – Sometimes at different points, based on when you saw him and what he was doing, you might wonder, why was he a Hall of Famer? But when you really look at his career as a whole and think about all the places he was successful, it's and how much money he ended up making and drawing, mm-hmm. it, it says a lot. And and it was amazing that, you know, he was a guy who kept going into his 60s. Yeah. And so. And I'm, uh, I'm just looking through I, this this list of Observer Awards. In 1990, Best Gimmick uh, was won by The Undertaker. Uh, Big Van Vader only got an honorable mention uh, and was voted up below the Black Scorpion, the Juicer, and Michael Wall Street for for best gimmick, not worst gimmick, best best gimmick. <laughs> what a, what what a oh, what a scandal! Well, I don't know if the payoff to the Black Scorpion uh, did that happen in ninety ninety or nineteen ninety. I, I don't know. Let's not try to unpack this now. <laughs> because <laughs> i'm also he was also involved in one of the worst matches of the year um which was uh 1991 he was in the chamber of horror matches where it was vader cactus and the diamond stud in a bull of the Dutch butcher versus sting steiners and el gigante mm-hmm. um but they they did finish fifth behind oz versus bill kazmaier god can't even imagine that match van hammer versus terry taylor sid vicious versus el gigante in the stretcher match that was a complete debacle and uh, Bobby Eaton and PN News versus Steve Austin and Terry Taylor in the scaffolding match. Mm. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of fun stuff. Um, so uh, a a memorable character for sure, and one that you know a lot of big guys in wrestling have kind of modeled their careers after in years past. Yeah, shall we go to Vince? Inclu- oh, sorry. 
Yeah, let's 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 throw it to the uh, production center yeah. in uh, Stamford. Uh, Vince, Vince, are are you ready? I'm proud to say that WWE will be making history in Australia, presenting Super Showdown on Saturday, October the sixth, the first ever live WWE broadcast from Melbourne at the iconic Melbourne Cricket Ground. Super Showdown will feature John Cena, Ronda Rousey, and practically every superstar from Monday Night Raw and SmackDown Live, along with some of the greatest legends in sports entertainment, including Shawn Michaels, Big Show, and Kurt Angle. By the way, The Undertaker and Triple H will compete against each other for the very last time, ending an iconic era in WWE. Promoter Paul Daney and I invite the entire WWE Universe in Australia and around the world to witness the biggest WWE live event in Australian history, WWE Super Showdown, live from the MCG in Melbourne on Saturday, October the 6th. Ronda Rousey. Yes, it's sad that uh, he did not go 100% Vince, but God, is that a Vince delivery on some of those mm-hmm. lines, the weird pauses. Mm-hmm. And not just that, The Undertaker. They're going to compete against each other. Uh, the Undertaker and, and Triple H, they're going to compete. I don't want to say they're going to wrestle. wrestle each other. No, they're, they're going to compete. Gonna wrestle each other. They're going to compete against each other in sports entertainment. What it, are you surprised to hear that WWE is not promoted by Vince McMahon, but rather by Mr. Paul Dainty? Yeah, who's Paul Dainty? He's the president and CEO of TEG Dainty, oh. which... Uh, I think it's basically a way of saying that it's the local promoter who's probably taking a ton of the risk and probably going to get a ton of the, the benefit from it. So it's one of those probably where WWE is either getting a, a portion of the profits or a paid amount to be there. I'm guessing probably a portion of the profits, like it's a shared promotion thing. And hell, it makes a lot of sense, right? If you're going to try to promote a stadium show, you want to have a local promoter who's all in on trying to sell those tickets and, and mm. do all the things that need to happen. No pun intended. All in. Um, the There was a video clip of Daniel Bryan, as many people have pointed out. It's like October 6th, well after when his supposed deal is up. So not only was he, he named by name in there again. Uh, and of course, there's a little asterisks on the uh, talent may change on the press release they put out. But mm-hmm. still, it's intriguing to see that, you know, they, they are, I would say they're selling tickets on the deal. Daniel Bryan was there. If I was a fan, I watched this promo, I would come away with the impression that I'm going to see Daniel Bryan. Someone who may may not even have a contract at that time. Which doesn't mean he couldn't wrestle for them. True. Hell, Rey Mysterio does it, right? It could be an independent contractor. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Hey, Daniel Bryan says, no, I'm not going to do it. But he doesn't say, hey, I'm exclusive to anybody. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it would actually probably be in his 90-day period. No, it wouldn't be because his contract would have run out. I think I think if his contract runs out, he doesn't have like a a right. period. That's it's only if you're case. released. If they if they fire if you, released. you got the ninety days. Though, though again, when exactly is he done? Could also be a gray area because of his injury time. Yeah, they could be trying to roll it over. What is yeah, that? Two so years they could though. Basically, claim it didn't expire. He's still on injury time. But they used him as a TV the character. They, they used him as a TV character though at the time. Yep, but all the time that he was on 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 injury before supposedly okay. adds to the length of the so contract. not two years. Hard to say. Yeah. It really depends. Yeah. We don't know what kind of con- – because he was a TV – you're right. He was a TV character for a while, so he could argue that he was active at that time. Mm-hmm. 
But there was some time where he was injured and off TV altogether. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, you know, the, the press release here mentions Undertaker, Triple H, Cena, Rousey, Shane McMahon, Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, Shawn Michaels, Randy Orton, Nia Jax, AJ Styles, Charlotte Flair, Daniel Bryan, The Miz, Sasha Banks, Alexa, Bliss, Big Show, Bray Wyatt, Australian tag team, Billy Kay, and Peyton Royce of the Iconics, and many more. So uh, if I was the Mighty Don't Kneel, I'd be uh, begging them right now. Put us on. What's the Mighty Don't Kneel? Isn't that uh, um, the, the, the two Australian dudes? Used to be in Noah, used to be in New Japan. Shane. TMDK? Yeah, TMDK. The Mighty Don't Kneel. Mm-hmm. That's what it stands for. Oh, is that what it stands for? Okay. Yeah. You're just being... You're being silly now? No, I didn't. I, I Okay, I just learned something. <laughs> that does make sense. Yes. Uh, they mentioned that the largest WWE event previously held in Australia was the Global Warning event in 2002, mm-hmm. setting a, quote, entertainment attendance record of 56,743, mm-hmm. which, as many people have noted, nobody knows what that means because they've had tons of cricket matches and other things that have drawn well over that number, but they weren't entertainment possibly drawn more than that. Entertainment though. Yeah. Cricket. Is it cricket? Wasn't entertainment. They didn't compete against each other. What what about the musical bands that drew, but they didn't compete against each other in entertainment. So that was at a stadium. That's two miles away. Um, I don't know how we'd pronounce it at him. No idea. Uh, Ethod, Ethod. I'm sure our Australian listeners will correct us. Yeah, I was going to say, Mr. Hunt will enjoy our our pronunciations here. I know he's New Zealand, but I'm sure he's still familiar with these Australia places. So this this place supposedly can fit like 100,000 people. So Mm. we're going to see... And that's for for a cricket match. Now, they're going to take out thousands of seats, I'm sure, with with a big entrance stage. But uh, you you still can put people on the the field and on the floor. So they could get to 100,000 here, I think. And then how many uh, how many were at WrestleMania this year? Do we think seventy five? Well, they announced what seventy five. Um, we don't have paid. We don't have that paid range yet. We won't until the the Q two report comes out at the end of July or so. Um, yeah, but they announced seventy eight something. So yeah, so they they have the potential to draw three seventy thousand people audiences this year between this Saudi Arabia and Australia. I think this has the potential to be. A, I think this has the potential to be a as big a crowd as WrestleMania 32, would you say? Right? Because WrestleMania 32, uh, the at t Stadium, under 1,763, that's the announced number, uh, really about 80,000 tickets sold, right? Um, it has the potential, and it's got the pricing, too. Like, you, you were looking at some tickets here. They're not um, available until about uh, Thursday of this week, June 28th. Yeah. But uh, what were they going for? About $2,000 Australian, which comes out to about 1500 us and that's 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 the highest price ticket uh the lowest price ticket at 35 australian which comes out to about 26 american yeah so there so the gate for this should be well well i take that back the 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 live event gate for this will be well above the saudi arabia show the saudi arabia show is probably you know many millions of dollars just from paid amount yeah we, we never uh, got a number think- on that we're not referencing anything in particular there no, we're wrestling the the perception of analysts mm-hmm. and and the rumors. Oh and, no! And, well, well, wait a minute. No, we did have that. Uh, I, I I I said, well, twenty million dollars because the, I don't know. So, somebody put out an, an analysis that said, uh, oh, it looks like it was worth about twenty million dollars, but oh, we don't know if that's for the year or for the lifetime of the deal or what that really means. 
Yeah, and and hopefully we'll find out more during this Q2 financials on the end of July. Mm-hmm. But uh, and and if you want to find out more, you should become a premium WrestleMomic subscriber because that's exactly the sort of stuff we're going to go in depth on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's this is an interesting event for them. Obviously, you know what an amount of work for WWE to run WrestleMania, to run Saudi Arabia, and run Australia, run on three different continents. These enormous shows. And obviously they're, you know, they're gearing up the band. They're calling everybody they can uh, to be on this show. So it's going to be one where they're going to have to take people off the road and make sure everyone can get to Australia, which is a very difficult place to travel to for from America. But uh, I, we would assume the show is going to be on the network. I don't know. Has it, it is, been on? It's been advertised. Yes, it will be. Okay. So there we go. So, yeah, that's um, we, we don't know the card, uh, but it's a show that's going to try to draw. 80,000, 90,000, maybe even 100,000. Who knows what number they're going to announce. Undertaker versus Triple H, the end of an era. Again. Yeah. We saw Undertaker versus uh, John Cena at the other thing. So, yep. I'm sorry, uh, Triple H versus John Cena, Undertaker versus uh, Rusev yeah. on the other event. So, who knows uh, what, what the Triple H Undertaker tour will bring us next. It's like it's like Hulkamania when he was doing his tour with Ric Flair. They went on Australia. They did. Now we're seeing like Undertaker and Triple H just go around the world and, and headline one more time. I'm sure it's going to be a methodical match. <laughs> I bet it will be. I bet it will involve a lot of Undertaker adjusting his uh, gloves mm-hmm. and uh, pulling up his tights. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a very cerebral contest. I bet it will. You know, they, they some, some people call Triple H the cerebral assassin. Yeah. I don't know if you can say assassin on on WWE TV. No, you have to be careful with those things. They're sponsors and and, and so forth. Things of that nature. Um, We don't know the card for that, but we do know the card for the New Japan card. Uh, We're about, you know, what is it, 11 days out is what you wrote here? I don't know if that's true. The card was released 11 days out. To, ah, to give you ah, an idea of one, like, two, I think that if this show isn't going to do as well as it, as it could have, uh, and I know this is all, you know, this is how New Japan does things, but the reason no, why it was released more than 11 days out because it's 13 days now until the show. No, well, my math must be bad then. Your math must have been bad because, because it's, we have 13 days left and we've known about this card for several days. Okay. Well, the, the point is they've, you know. They waited till the and this was something they talked about on the all uh, all us special about the magic sauce of you know maybe all in is popular because you don't know what you're going to get, and I thought well that's funny because New Japan tried that and they did not necessarily be selling out ten thousand seat arenas with their their magic we don't know what we're going to deliver to you yeah a strategy so but, should we uh, now we know the card. fly through this card real quick yeah IWGP Heavyweight Title Match Kenny Omega versus Cody. Uh, that's the main event. Jay White versus Juice Robinson for the, for the U.S. title. Jay White is the champion. Did you see that promo that Ju- Juice Robinson did? No, I saw everyone was referencing it. I didn't get a chance to actually watch it. I just heard people saying, well, if you could use F-bombs and be, wow. be like sarcastic, it would be different. What Was it a good promo or was it a bad promo? It was I don't an, know why it was everyone a, was referencing it. It was an amazing promo. Yeah, there's a lot of swearing in it, but it, it's, it's a great promo. Okay, I'll have to check it out. I heard I heard it was very entertaining. IWGP heavyweight title, uh, Hiromu Takahashi defending against Dragon Lee. And, junior uh, heavyweight title. Junior heavyweight title, excuse me. Yeah, and uh, Will Ospreay and, and Okada versus Bushi and Naito. Uh, Nick Jackson and Matt Jackson, the Young Bucks defending the IWGP heavyweight tag titles against Sonata and Evil. 
uh, the never open weight title. Goto defending against Jeff Cobb. Uh, and uh, Kushida and Tanahashi in a tag match against Marty Skrull and Hangman Page. Yano and Ishii against Zack Sabre Jr. and Minoru Suzuki. And then a 10-man tag of Sho, Yo, Rocky Romero, Gato, and Yoshihashi against Chase Owens, Yujiro Takahashi, Tangaloa, Tamatanga, and King Haku. Ming himself. Ming. So, I... First of all, there's five championship matches on this show. Ming probably uh, pinning Gato there. Open can't wait for junior it. Junior, U.S. heavyweight. That's good. And so the fact we don't have Jericho defending his mm-hmm. doesn't it doesn't feel that bad. All you know, out I, of respect I thought it for would, Vince. The 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 card actually sounds terrific to me. When I when I read this card, I was like, "That is a, a quality card." I actually yeah. read this card and had a moment where I was like, "I wonder if I could get out there in Ooh. time to see this show." Are you gonna go? No, Tickets still available. Tickets are still available, but Mookie's bank account is not available. So. Really? Well, we need more subscribers then to. Uh, we do actually. <laughs> um, I had to get my car fixed, and uh, that took took a lot of my my budget this really? this time. Yeah, hmm. but um. Well, not only did we get my car fixed, but then on Father's Day, we got a flat tire, oh, and no. then that became a whole deal, and so it was a whole rigmarole. Oh, my goodness. But anyways, I, I thought it was a good card. Don't you, Would you agree? It's a, it sounds like a great set of matches. Yeah, they're, they're treating this like a major show, like a, like a pay-per-view, uh, whereas they yeah. could have just, you know, thrown a bunch of six-man tags in here, and they did not. There's there's a bunch of title matches here, so it's a serious New Japan show. Uh, would it would have sold yeah, better and, and, if, if somehow they could have you know, advertise this card in advance, but because Dominion was the month right before, they had to wait until all that all that was done. And it would be interesting to see how how fans would have reacted if we had said, okay, it's going to be Okada versus Cody. And then because Kenny won, it's now Kenny versus Cody. Yeah. Would they have felt cheated by not getting an Okada singles match? Or would they say, okay, I'm all cool with that? I guess if, if we could... Uh fantasy book here i get maybe you could have advertised omega versus cody and then okada versus somebody else in a singles match and whoever's got the title is going to defend it that doesn't sound like a very new japan thing to do but i guess they could have done that yeah i i just wonder um i i think it's it's a good card i do think that they're in you know they're in a situation where it's their what third or fourth time back in the market depending on how many shows you want to count it's their third trip and their fourth show yeah right right and so that's that it's it's hard because you're coming back and it's not first time syndrome. You know, all in two is not going to necessarily have the the cachet of all in one, and so you got to deliver more. And I think that might have been the one mistake here is assuming okay, a big building would be a draw, and it's like people don't care about the building, people care about the card, people care about the momentum, and you're not coming in with the idea of telling us that hey, this is going to super super matter. Mm-hmm. And a you're fighting, you know, Kenny Omega versus Cody Rhodes. That sounds like a hell of a lot like something I might see it all in in a few months from now. Yeah. I wonder if, they've, if whether it's New Japan or all in, have ever thought of doing like a multi-location shoot, like a like a old-time Starcader or WrestleMania 2, where you got like, you know, we're going to do this in Long Beach and that in Chicago, or maybe even that in London. I don't know. You know, with, the, with streaming technology today, it's probably more viable than it's been in the past. Yeah. I think a lot of times these things have been kind of debacles, mm-hmm. to be honest. I mean, you, you go back, I mean, this, this dates well, well back, way even back to like, remember the Muhammad Ali, Anoki fight, you yeah. know, all the different cities in the U.S. had Shea Stadium cards. Mm-hmm. 
uh, going back to MSG, you know, they would have the, the spillover in the theater and you could go there and watch it. You know, it's, it's, it goes way, way back to do it. I do feel like it is a little bit of anachronism, but there are times where, you know, I think it would be really cool to do, you know, they're doing a show in London, a show in the U S and a show in Australia or something. Well, well, or the, Japan. the, the difference like, is you know, I think here is that you've got all the, it's, it's all traveling fans that you're trying to draw from. Right. So yeah. you could draw three medium sized crowds as opposed to try to draw one big crowd that everybody's going to have to take a, a long plane flight to get to. Yep. Yep. No, I think it would be intriguing. I think if you build up a stable, that's, that's legitimate enough. That's fine. I do fear that all in is a, I won't, I wouldn't call it a house of cards, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's a temporary institution because it it's so dependent on the idea that um, they're not so much of this is not going to get gobbled up by another company. But by that you're referring to like Cody and, and Bucks are going to get signed up by WWE maybe. Maybe Marty Skrull, maybe, you know, other people too. You know, it's it's just going to be something where if New Japan wants to make an incursion in the United States, at a certain point, they have to become New Japan and they can't let all their talent be kind of a subsidiary effect of Ring of Honor and, and other yeah. independents. Which Ring of Honor is expressly content to do. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they're pushing all all in, you know, despite what Business Journal articles might say. It sounds like ROH is just kind of passively marketing. Wait a minute. All is in. All in a Ring of Honor show? It is not a Ring oh. of Honor show. Okay. I think, I think Cody and the Bucks would be thrilled if Ring of Honor wanted to sign some of those uh, uh, vendor pay stubs. But uh, that's mm-hmm. not happening as far as we know. Yeah. WWE Super Showdown is just such a, uh, a Vince McMahon name for a show, too. Isn't it? Super Showdown. With it sounds Ronda like one of their video Rousey. game products. Alrighty, um, we are WrestleMomics Radio. I'm your co-host, Christopher Mukigana Harrington. You can find me on Twitter at Mukigana. Brandon Howard Thurston is on Twitter at... Yeah, at, at, uh, at, at Brandon Thurston. Brandon Thurston. Yeah. This Thursday, we're going to have Dave Lagana on for a great chat. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to hear that chat, you got to sign up for the premium. you got to go to patreon.com slash WrestleMomics. We're going to talk to the guy who's, who's some of the brains behind something like All Us. Yeah. about the production of a show, something like that. He's, he's a guy who's working on 10 pounds of gold. He's mm-hmm. a guy who has experience with pretty much all the major companies in the United States doing pro- professional professional wrestling media promotion for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a guy that loves to talk about the business of wrestling, too. So we'll probably even get into to the things like mergers and, and uh, acquisitions and, and strategies for WWE in the future. So we'll record so. that Thursday evening and we'll release it probably late Thursday night. That's the hope. That mm-hmm. is the hope. Mm-hmm. And uh, we hope you want to maybe even read the notes that we wrote for the show. We, we have lots of great notes about this show and our premium show. If you sign up, $5 level, you get access to the notes. And that gives you a lot of information about what we're looking at here. And you can judge for yourself. Like I say, you don't have to take a Dave Meltzer's UK ratings. You can actually look it up yourself. That's what's important. Very important. All, all right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? 
Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.